Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Danny McCarthy, writer with PharmaTalk. I'm really pleased to share with you this panel from the Patients as Partners in Clinical Trials Europe 2019 event about how pharma reps and patient advocates can work together more effectively. With panelists Chris McDonald from Pancreatic Cancer UK, Merck's Vanessa Pott, and Dr. Natasha Radcliffe of Parkinson's UK. The session is called Panel Discussion, Best Practices for Pharma-Patient Advocacy Partnerships. The Patients as Partners Europe 2020 conference takes place January 27th to the 28th in London. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you very much and uh, for the uh, organizers for inviting us onto this panel and to speak today. Um, it's a small but perfectly formed panel, I'd like to think, um, and we're going to be talking about specifically about patient advocacy partnerships and really kind of getting into, I suppose, the details of um, all of us who are, have been involved in partnerships um, and really around the kind of, I suppose, we've heard very positively, I'm sure, throughout the, the yesterday and this morning as well about partnerships, but we really want to get down to the nitty-gritty and the things that we can kind of do better on and, con and kind of constructively uh, challenge and change uh, as a group and as in partnerships. So I'm Chris MacDonald, I'm uh, the Head of Research at Pancreatic Cancer UK. Previously, um, some of you may know me from my time, at, um, which was Arthritis Research UK, now is Versus Arthritis. I was the Research Involvement Manager there, manager there and involved in lots of partnerships with, other, um, with industry leaders as well. Um, and I'll ask my other panel members to also introduce themselves. Well, yes, I'll start. So for those of you who were not here yesterday, my name is Vanessa Pott. I work at Merck, uh, German Merck. <laughs> and um, I work there as Director of Patient Advocacy and Strategic Partnerships. And Tash, if the caffeine hadn't quite kicked in for everyone there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm Natasha, I'm the Research Involvement Manager um, at, at Parkinson's UK. Um, and I think, you know, for us, we kind of, just just started the partnership that we we just spoke about with UCB was really our first time working with industry so um, yeah we're we're still fairly fairly new to this but um, yeah it's been interesting new but uh, uh, probably a, a quite informed opinion for this panel Tash so don't, so. don't yeah absolutely um, so I just wanted to kind of frame our discussion here today we um, had as as panels tend to do and revealing the secrets of panels you have a conversation beforehand agree what you're going to say. Um, what we agreed is that we won't agree what we're going to say, we'd agree on an approach. Um, what we thought we'd do today is be really honest and, as, we've, as we called it, constructively challenging of one another and the sector. Um, so what we wanted to say is that um, we might have, we've seen, you know, you've seen these panels before and you've had these conversations. We wanted to do something a bit more kind of critical. We wanted to really analyse the benefits but really getting down to the details of the barriers that exist within partnerships currently. We also wanted to just say that um, we're going to be um, expressing opinions that we may not hold ourselves. So um, on, we're kind of acting on proxies on behalf of our different sectors. We obviously being on this panel and here today know the benefits of public and patient involvement, patient centricity and of partnerships because we've been involved with them. So um, we're kind of going to be representing different perspectives from our own uh, in order to kind of um, yeah, challenge one another, I suppose, as well. And what we're not going to do either is talk about um, you know, the benefits of public and patient involvement or the benefits of partnerships. Tash beautifully showed that previously. And if you're in this room, you're probably aware of the benefits of both involvement and centricity and around partnerships as well. Um, 
managing expectations, there was a few bullet points within the kind of the panel as well, uh, within the panel documentation. Um, we're probably just not going to do any of that. I think we're going to do something else, which is absolutely fine, in my opinion. Um, so I thought we'd do the first question, and Vanessa, I'm going to put it to you. So what is just so off-putting about working with patient organisations? Right. <laughs> That's an easy one. <laughs> Good. Um, so I would say, I mean, off-putting is maybe not the word I would have personally chosen, but um, coming now from a bigger pharmaceutical perspective, I think... First of all, what I need to cite here is a lack of understanding of what patients can actually contribute. And for me, that goes back to also a lack of exposure. So a lot of the decision makers in R&D are still not sufficiently exposed to patient groups and people like you, Tash, who, who really have that specific role um, as research partners in, in patient groups. So... I suppose flip that on its head then Tash what do you think what do you think there's a is there a barrier is there a perceived barrier have you seen barriers from colleagues who have been in partnerships from other patient organizations to industry members what's you know yeah uh, um I think I think a perceived barrier definitely is the kind of um people are quite nervous about you know having a patient in the room and talking to patients what um, what are they going to say? Are people going to use it as an opportunity to, you know, vent their, you know, frustrations with, you know, multiple other aspects of, of the healthcare system? Which I think so. There's that, you know, kind of fear from from industry of, you know, that that might happen, um, which you know I think is occasionally that happens. But I think you know overall that's really not why. Um, you know, people affected by health conditions, you know, come into these kind of partnerships. It's not not their aim for, for being involved. And, you know, as, as Elaine said, they're, you know, experts in their condition and people want to, you know, help inform, inform research and in, inform what's happening. So I think that's another... If I can just reply straight to that, I think um, there's that element of fear and worry. Um, it's like, oh my God, what what are the patients going to tell us? You know, adverse event reporting. Oh. So um, there's all that. But I think in addition, there might also be a concern that you just said they're experts in their own um, experience and their own condition. Um, but I think um, the way research is traditionally conducted, um, the patient is the subject in the trial, is not an active partner or agent. Um, so historically, there's really this um, very paternalistic approach still. Um, so it's fear, but it's also, I think, part of it is, is culture. And add to that that um, really to be successful with our data at the time of regulatory approval, it needs to be absolutely rigorous. So we need to have a very, very, um, well, um, st structured, for lack of a better word, structured approach to how we actually conduct research. And I think that for a number of people, there still might be a concern that the patient can only represent their personal experience and only bring anecdotal evidence to the table, which, again, we know is not true, but I think that is still a big concern that we need to, we need to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I suppose, Tash, then in the kind of the converse of it, could you, could you self -criti be critical of patient organisations and understand the frustrations of uh, industry, of why it's so difficult? What is it about us that makes us maybe difficult to work with? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things, this is 
new for patient organisations as well, working sure. with industry. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the time there's no... Uh, we don't have, like, necessarily policies in place for this kind of thing. So it kind of gets to the point where you're having a conversation, OK, let's do this partnership. And as the patient patient organisation, we're like, well, hang on, what, what are the rules around this? What, what can we do and how does it fit into... You know, there isn't a policy for how we do this, so that can kind of be, I think, a bit, bit frustrating and perhaps the perception that, um, you know, that there's that maybe level of professionalism that sometimes is perceived yeah. you know to not not be there um which um i think yeah can p potentially be quite difficult yeah from my own experience i think that's something that i often come against is that there is this perception that there's you know that you're informally you know chatting to patients all the time and that because you're a patient organization there's no like kind of processes and procedures put in place and the rigor perhaps isn't there that would be in your counterparts within industry so i i've always found that very frustrating there's an assumption that that there's no kind of that we can so easily also go and work with and get and and um, get patient perspectives and it becomes kind of our job to do it Whereas actually it's a shared relationship to be able to kind of gather insights effectively because that informality doesn't actually get us anywhere. I think people have to have some formalised process, not overly formalised, of, of course. It is a, a, a unique partnership that doesn't benefit from an overly um, formal um, relationship and understanding. But it does need to exist and the ground rules need to exist in order to kind of... It's that thing that you were saying before, managing expectations, understanding on both sides, whether it be the partners or the people involved or the people who benefit from when they start to design the clinical trial. Um, of having that understanding, I think it's quite important. And also, I think, you know, understanding, as we touched upon earlier, the processes and procedures, compliance and contracts is just not something that, you know, we kind of have to necessarily deal with. And I think that can be a bit frustrating from, from the farmer's perspective when, you know compliance and having to you know get documents kind of um you know checked three weeks before you want to send them out oh, and such like a faff, that isn't is, it yeah, yeah <laughs> like for us that's just like what you we know, don't have seems, a legal team yeah, yeah we would have to buy in legal advice in order to do that which then costs yeah. us and then we can't like, have that reflected in and especially that is that issue as well around payment and things like that whether you receive it or not it's actually uh, quite the burdensome task even if it's just an individual's time dedicated or sometimes days or six months, as we heard previously, dedicated to that, it's often a big undertaking for us. And I don't often think that that's reflected in the relationship as well, or the recognition of that. And I think, you know, from pharma side as well, different, you know, when we talk about patient organisations, patient groups, we can mean anything from, you know, a small group of three or four um, individuals affected by a particular condition that, you know, have kind of got together an advocacy group to big charities that you know have got a lot of professional staff and yeah, yeah that's and I think true, yeah. there's such a varied you know such a varied amount of resource and experience there and I can imagine from the farmer side if you're working in different conditions you know approaching those different groups is with different kind of expectations and needs is, is quite challenging well absolutely and also of course there are indications that are so rare that often there is not a dedicated patient group so that that adds another layer but i wanted to go back to something you just mentioned tash because it, it just triggered a thought you said um there's a lack of understanding with the within the patient groups for some of the compliance procedures and all of the legalese mm -hmm. and why does it take so long and why do so many people have to sign off i think there's also another elephant in the room if we're completely honest i mean at the end of the day um i think we also have a very different um 
fear, which is coming from a pharmaceutical perspective, how do we openly and transparently discuss our decision-making procedure? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like, which molecules do we advance and how do we, you know, what do we progress and where do we actually, how do we calculate risks, business risks so also across the portfolio? So as, as devil's advocate, then can I ask you as a representative of the entire industry? I guess industry, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why is that an issue? Why Why can't patient organisations and people affected by conditions be made privy to that understanding process? Do you, do you under... Yeah, maybe not you, pers you personally, but obviously, why do you think that could be an issue for industry? Well, personally, I think that would be um, homework for all of us, at least for all of the pharmaceutical representatives in the room here, to act as change makers within our organisations, yep. to, to drive that forward and look at initiatives where we can be more transparent. Um, I understand it's a highly competitive space, but I'm not even talking about individual trials. Yep. I think it's more just sharing the, the bigger picture. And of course, you asked me, what is the concern? That the concern is the backlash. It's, you know, it's really, as we all know, I mean, I don't have any statistics to rattle off, but the reputation of pharmaceutical industry is sure. often that of a money-making, yep. hard, you know, cold uh, industry that is making profits on the backs of other people's illnesses and yeah no but it, I mean yeah, it no, is I I'm, I'm just you know I mean just open any newspaper you'll you'll find something about that to that effect you know and um, the high cost of drugs I mean all of this has been in the media sufficiently so I think there is already that PR yeah. image yeah. that we're dealing with um, that as an industry um I think just should give us the, the role of having to explain better. And it goes all the way back. So what I just said was about the prices of drugs. So that's a whole different story. But going all the way back into research and early development, just be more transparent about how we make decisions and why it's also important to make those decisions, to be very critically aware of where you know opportunities lie for actually a drug to come to market, yeah. to benefit a patient population. So I, I think that's... And, and I think that's... Again, this is this p partnership and there's this burden on both sides to compromise and meet in the middle. Because I think it's quite, um, it's one of my bugbears is the naivety with which sometimes patient organisations can enter a relationship in thinking that um, the industry should be doing it for anything. The industry partners should be primarily doing it for one reason or another or sharing their exact priority as well as a patient organisation because we work in very different sectors and very different approaches and you know different all kinds of different metrics and things like that that we need to account for I think it can be a certain naivety to think that um, that you won't be measuring success differently um, and I think as long as we have the shared understanding that it's that our partnership is based purely on the fact of improving the quality of life of this particular patient group then that is the kind of that can overcome a lot of different things and I think that that naivety about the other things can kind of should maybe be maybe somewhat of it, the burden falls on patient organizations to educate themselves and they're going yes this is these are the terms of play you know this is what we're going to have to expect yeah, and just more more openness yeah. from the start as to how decisions are made why they are made um and, you know, I think there are enough success stories of, of you know, really developing groundbreaking drugs, bringing um, hope and, and new quality of life to patients and their, their families. Um, I think we all know that. But then let's, let's also be open about the flip side of things and absolutely. sometimes having to make tough decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So this, I suppose, 
what what I've quoted here in one of our previous conversations is it, this comes down to this culture clash. Mm-hmm. It's this that that we don't spend enough time on either side of really understanding what motivates and drives one another. Do you have you found that before with your with the partnership with UCB Tash, or have you seen it with other kind of organisations and collaborations? Yeah, I think there is. It's as you mentioned that lack of lack of understanding, and I think it you know the key is communication and actually like you said openness transparency in you know what the objectives are what the what difficulties i think something which is really key is understanding the difficulties that the the partner is going through and you know so when it comes to compliance actually when we understood you know the processes that were involved in that it was like oh wow that's really annoying that you know you want to kind of send out an email and you have to you know it takes two weeks to get it approved or you know things like that so I think just you know trying to flip it and rather than thinking that's their problem actually you're in partnership so you need to really work together to think okay well this is the procedure yes maybe it's not ideal and maybe in the long term we can work together to kind of try and change it but this is what we're dealing with now and so let's help each other and and work it out together rather than thinking that's farmer's issue, they need to sort that out. This is the patient organisation's issue, they need to sort that out. Um, and coming together for, for change, I think, is really key. Is, uh, it was, um, I, I poo-pooed the notes, and now I'm thinking about one of the bullet points. Was this um, in, the, in, the, in the documentation there? There was a point made about kind of, um, is it worthwhile or is it a good practical approach to overcome these cultural, cultural clashes by actually having kind of almost secondments or going to one another and understanding one another and how each how the day-to-day delivery of what we're trying to do works you think there i mean that sounds enormously burdensome because the partnership itself is so burdensome but i was wondering around whether that is something or there is a more practical approach towards overcoming the kind of culture clash so again i could i could see two two sides of this so on the one hand i think could be very beneficial Mm. um and you know help us as pharmaceutical industry better understand Pharma, pharma's contribution, uh, sorry, patient group's contributions. Um, but on the other hand, it then again puts us in this position where I think a lot of people would be hesitant and they'd think, oh, are we just grooming our patient hmm. groups? Yeah, yep. yeah. But just to act as puppets on yep. our behalf to, you know, just become even more instrumentalized than what yep. some people already think they are. Yep. So maybe if that were to be, you know, a, an approach, maybe it's something that would have to be organized more as an across. Um, yep. Like, you know, Parkinson's, for instance, um, we don't have a Parkinson's drug. So, you know, like that, it would maybe be something oh, right. that so you would was, do across. There was no benefit. Yeah, there was yeah no, because yeah, I, I think, yeah, again, there is already a lot of negative perception around um, the, the sort of grooming of patient groups or influencing of patient groups. And we wouldn't want to even further that by yep. such a sort of a buddy program. So um, I'm pleased that you've adopted the, uh, the, the somewhat salty... Um, kind of language that we that I started with grooming I, I, I like the idea of Tash have you seen kind of grooming with inpatient organizations or even just the perception of because the, the time hasn't gone in to actually understand one another so it becomes quite as, as you said I think previously Vanessa transactional mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I think that's definitely as a patient organization you're really aware of that yeah. and you know if you know being approached by um, a company who are saying, yeah, we want to, you know, we want to work with patients to, to get insights and sometimes you're like, okay, but, and when you actually start talking, they haven't really thought it through and it does just feel like we just want to tick the box to say that, you know, we've spoken to yeah. to some people. So I think there is that. Um, 
that danger. And I think, yeah, just kind of, I guess, just popping in, saying hello for a day and then going back and not feeding back and no one getting any, you know, information about how did that, you know, yeah, you came to visit us. How has that helped shape your programme? You know, that's something yeah. that is really important, I think. Um, even if, you know, there's no direct benefit to that particular, you know, patient group, for example, because your your company doesn't, um, doesn't you know, work in that space. I think, yeah, feeding back is, is really key to avoid that feeling of feeling like you've just been used for, yeah. you know, to, to get a few insights to tick a box. Um, Maybe that cultural divide just needs to be overcome with just getting your hands dirty and collaborating and seeing how it gets on. And it certainly was my um, experience with working with organisations was that we didn't know how each other worked and we only found out until, As you know, well, right yeah. at the end. <laughs> really, just yeah. the, the, the merest insight in how, into how we worked was really interesting. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there are a few things that we can do. So uh, what we were just discussing before we actually came on at the end of the previous um, panel, I, I think there is really... Um, you know, patient groups, they also have a lot of power. Uh, because at the end of this, it's not just a cultural clash, I think there's also often a perceived power issue, right? Oh, right so okay. if, if the pharmaceutical company funds the patient group, you know, they might feel like they are more like in the role of obliged to provide a service, yeah. you know, it, it's already a bit... Mm, or indebted to indebted, take on their yeah. insights. And so then, that, yeah, yeah. that could be an issue. But then let's go back to what you were saying earlier when I asked that question about... Um, not replicating, not, because clearly you don't have the capacity to replicate what you did with UCB, which was really successful. I mean, I love the case study that you just presented. Um, but, but how can you make that, you know, a model that benefits more widely, you know, the, the patient community by making certain requirements, like you said, in the contract that you could then share out, um, um, obviously not the sensitive part of the information, but, you know, just also having that bigger... Um, you know, a empowered approach where you think, okay, how can we make this useful for the bigger community? Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, you know, for us, that, that partnership with UCB was really the start of, you know, a really yeah. good working relationship. And I think, you know, we've put in, obviously, yeah, it was a, a, a lot of time um, to, to put the workshop together. But I think now, you know, so many other things, like Kate mentioned, the patient panels, and maybe in the future now, there's a relationship with that, that group then moving forward with that trial, you know, we've got that group of, of people. If the trial does go ahead, then mm -hmm. you know, that group can continue to work with UCB and, you know, on other opportunities. As Kate mentioned, we've got several things in the pipeline and we've now got a group of, of people affected by Parkinson's who can then continue um, that. So I think it doesn't necessarily need to be that you, you do one activity and that's it and then you move on to the next one. But actually, you invest that time at the beginning, beginning because it's about developing those relationships for, for longer-term partnerships, I think. Really interesting. Uh, something that I just kind of wanted us to end on and focus on was this. Um, so with this cultural clash that we, we're talking about, there's this kind of and lack of empathy. Do you think that then leads to, again, uh, as you said, transactional and narrowing of what the kind of impact and focus of what patient organisations can actually bring to the whole breadth of, like, kind of medicine's delivery? It always seems to be very clinical trial focused mm. but maybe if we took the focus away from clinical trials and it was more holistic there might be that culture may change more effectively I wonder if you guys had any thoughts on that kind of narrow focus yeah I think I think definitely I mean it's great to see like lots of examples where where patients are you know really um helping input on on clinical trials but yeah as you said I think so much happens before that and yeah. it kind of often comes to the point where you know 
people are like, yeah, we've, you know, we're thinking about this trial and it's like, oh, well, actually, hang on, there's so many decisions that have already happened and actually you should have, you know, been working with um, with people affected by the condition way, way before that. And I think, um, you know, having that really insight early on is so key because it just, you know, is going to cut out so many processes and kind of bad decisions that, yeah. that have happened, which you're then trying to reverse when already so much of it is actually in place. Yeah, and, and can't like, reverse often. Yeah, yeah as you well. can't change. Yeah. And um, as much as you just said, and I, I would agree, you know, to engage earlier, um, it also, you know, it, it doesn't stop with the trial. So it's really that whole experience. Lotus spoke to that earlier. Yep. So I think our aspiration at Merck, at least, you know, with having our team as a really cross-cutting transversal team um, that, that really sort of works across the entire organization, the entire life cycle management is clearly that, you know, to, to make it less like, um, yeah, transactional mm -hmm. and really to take a broader approach. Are we there yet? I guess, well, we still have a lot to work on, but we're, we're definitely moving in that direction. So I would, I would agree, yeah. Great. Um, so I'm going to do some take-home messages, as I was advised to, um, but then I'll open it up to the crowd if anyone else wants to join in in our general grumpiness around partnerships. Um, but I think what we were saying is, so that culture class is really key, and not being able to invest the time and effort to comprehend and understand the motivations and priorities of one another is a key barrier, I think, that then leads to this narrow focus. And if we have this narrow focus, we're only ever going to be able to be seen as a very transactional relationship at the clinical trial stage. And also the clinical trials may not even be, if they're not open enough, are they the right clinical trials in the first place? And if we, if we had a more broader culture of patient insight gathering beforehand, we may be having the right trial right trials that would, would write themselves and you wouldn't even need any patient involvement. I hope you enjoyed the podcast from Patients as Partners Europe 2019. The 2020 conference takes place January 27th and 28th in London. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone.